When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, welcome and thank you for tuning in to this week's Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I'm Ali Maxwell. With us today, Michael Cox, Mark Carey, Duncan Alexander, not changing. A winning team from last week. Uh, Interesting topic, I think, something a, a little bit different for the pod. We're not a podcast that is generally led by the zeitgeist, by popular culture. Quite the opposite, I like to think, in the main. But this week, I guess we are, because a lot of chat on our Slack channel around what is the number one watched show on Netflix in the UK this week. And that is a show about David Beckham and his career. Well, loads to talk about, and there's plenty of different aspects to it. We, unsurprisingly, are mostly interested in the football side of things, or wholly interested, really, in the football side of things. Duncan, loads of great footage Mm. from throughout his life and his career and loads of juicy football tidbits as well. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen the first episode so far, but what I found really interesting was obviously that's the one that focuses on his rise to fame in the 90s. And there were loads of clips of goals from the 90s that I've not seen in that quality before from camera angles that I didn't know existed. And it's actually really interesting. I mean, I do think that's one of the benefits of these big budget Netflix documentaries. Mm. You've seen it in others where they they do have the time and the money to go back through the archives and find stuff that no one else has seen. So for that alone, it's worth watching just to see some different shots of David Beckham. Mark, you've watched a bit of the doc as well. To to what extent are you learning a lot about uh, David Beckham's career that you that you maybe weren't across as a I mean I guess a, a child for the most part. Yeah, I probably say I got into football at about ninety nine two thousand, so probably just after United had had won the treble. So him kind of coming to to prominence was was something I kind of wasn't really across. What I found interesting as well, I'm obviously going to talk about the numbers, but in the first season that he kind of got some appearances, the ninety four ninety five season, played one hundred ninety five minutes, but after that. His first full season, he played 2,500 minutes. So, yeah, once he was in the side, he, he didn't come out. Yeah, opening day, 95, didn't start, came off the bench at halftime and scored in what was a defeat to Aston Villa and, and basically never looked back there. Michael, you've not found the time or perhaps the inclination to watch this documentary, but I know you're excited to talk about David Beckham, the footballer. This period of football is, uh, you know, special to people of broadly our age. Yeah, he was. Uh, he has the very special honour of being the first substitute I ever saw come onto a football pitch. <laughs> How uh, do you know that? Yeah, Arsenal won Manchester United nil in nineteen ninety five. It was actually a double change. Him and Lee Sharp came on for schools and, and but I haven't watched the documentary yet. But people are very complimentary about it, so maybe I'll get involved. But I think, look, I really enjoyed it, and and in particular, just that sort of childish enthusiasm for watching old footage from different angles in in great quality like Duncan had, but just remembering what is an astounding career, leaving everything off the field to one side, an astounding football career with so many unusual and interesting aspects. And 
you know, even the very basic fact of playing for Manchester United, Real Madrid, LA Galaxy, AC Milan and PSG is just, uh, you know, it is it is really kind of the stuff of, of fiction almost. But importantly for this episode, the, the real reason we wanted to talk about it was essentially to give it the tactics pod treatment. And by that, what I mean is there is a sense, as you can expect with a documentary that is in part produced by its protagonist, that there has been some not rewriting of history, but a few choices of, of storytelling that maybe don't give what was the, the broadest picture. And, and that's what we want to kind of try and tell in, in a footballing sense, trying to bring the truth of a, of a remarkable career. Uh, and in doing so, we can discuss the tactics of, of a previous era, which is always uh, fun to do. So uh, sit back and enjoy as we talk about uh, the career of David Beckham. Beckham! That's absolutely brilliant. Take a bow, David Beckham. Straight in, first question. Michael, is he the best crosser of a football of all time? <laughs> that is a good question. I think he probably is. I would say, if not, he's certainly the player whose game was most based around crossing because he was a slightly unusual player. I mean, at that point, most English sides, including Manchester United, were playing 4-4-2. And there was quite an obvious definition of your wide players. It was... More like Giggs would be the classic British wide player. Beckham didn't have that much pace. He had energy, he had stamina, but he wasn't someone who had a trick. He wasn't about beating an opposition left back. Uh, but what he did have, I'd say maybe in keeping with Kevin De Bruyne or to a certain extent Trent Alexander-Arnold, he could cross from very deep positions and put such curl on the ball that it wasn't just lofting it into the box. Mm. It was almost like a cross from 15, 20 yards higher up the the pitch so yeah I mean his his game really was based around crossing I'd say in a way I'd say he was only very good at one thing which was just kicking the ball accurately over long distances but that translated to crossing to passing to corners to scoring free kicks mm. there were I mean I didn't George Best once say he can't head the ball he hasn't got a left foot and he's not very quick or mm. something like that but, but apart, apart from, from that, that he's all right <laughs> which was kind of true he was a I'd say a, a limited player who made absolutely the best use of his his talents. It's true. He was limited in a lot of ways, but I would say he was so good at the stuff he could do that that elevated him above. But then at the same time, because he then became so famous and you know, married a Spice Girl, et cetera, et cetera, that then led a lot of people to kind of downplay what he was good at, I think, over quite a long period. Whereas someone, say, like Paul Scholes, who was very down-to-earth and you know, didn't really speak to the media at all, I think his game almost got played up a bit because it was almost like, yeah. you know what I mean? I think it, Beckham was kind of doubly hampered by both being specifically good and also all this other noise. Things have probably changed now, but there was a period where he was definitely overrated by the wider footballing public because he was a massive name. But he was actually underrated by football fans who were kind of sick of his celebrity, I think. And the other thing to say is this was an era where I think you could be just very good at a couple of things. You know, now players are kind of universal. They've got to be kind of 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, absolutely everything, was he, you know, he was in an era where there were specialists. I remember someone saying on Twitter to me, and this is a bit of a simplification, but he said that Manchester United midfielder was from left to right, a dribbler, Giggs, a passer, Skulls, a tackler, Keane, and a crosser, Beckham. And that's a simplification. I think Keane was certainly more than a tackler, but it was kind of true. They did all have different styles and they did specialise in particular things the way I don't think you really get these days. I mean, with that in mind, in terms of the the era as well, I think we've had this conversation before of where you'd 
place Beckham within a modern day team. And of course, there's going to be different systems depending on the team. But would he be maybe in his later career? Would he be more of a deep line playmaker if it was maybe in his prime? Would he be more suited as a wing back? So he is going to stay wide and maybe have those crosses from deep or... Would he be a free eight? We spoke about Kevin De Bruyne there as well with his maybe ability to get into the half space. That wasn't as much of a common term used in his era. Would he maybe be able to to pick up those little pockets and get the crosses in? It's it's always interesting to see or talk about how good a player was in the specific era because that's what maybe made them so good. Clearly, the range of passing and the ability to, as Michael said, put the ball wherever he wanted to seemingly uh, from you know at distances that other players simply couldn't but being a deep lying playmaker someone that sets the tempo and dictates the game isn't just about spray in fact it can almost be a hindrance if all you do is play really well we saw that with, with Wayne Rooney when it, he played in midfield for England right. and it was yeah he was smashing long balls perfectly but then wasn't running around so, so I guess my question is d- did Beckham have the match intelligence as well to dictate tempo when presumably he played right mid for his whole it looked from the clips of when he was 10 years old he's playing right midfield in all of them so wouldn't necessarily have had the composure of a, of a Pirlo for example or a Xabi Alonso I actually completely agree with you. I don't think he was an overwhelmingly intelligent footballer on the pitch. And I think when he did play those central roles, I think he struggled to exert influence. And you talk about tempo, which I think is interesting because when he developed into a real leader, I think particularly when he became England captain, he did go up a level. And his idea of tempo was like full throttle. It was almost quite an old school English kind of Roy the Rovers mentality. It was quite rare that mm. you'd see him kind of just putting his foot on the ball mm. and calming the tempo. So yeah, I agree with you. I think his, for me, his best years were on the right with Manchester United. I, I never particularly liked him in the centre. But there's always, there is a sort of flank cancellation a thread throughout English football in the sense that even with Trent Alexander-Arnold, people are like, oh yeah, he's great at what he does, but oh, I hope he'd probably want to go in the middle at some point. And I think throughout Beckham's career, there's this idea that yeah, he was the best in the world at doing what he was doing, but surely he wants to go into the middle because that was seen as this more prestigious thing. But but why? Well, it seems obvious to me that he'd he'd be a right back in that he was hardworking. He didn't shirk defensive duties. He had great stamina and his crossing from deep was the best of all time. Like, is that not just it, the obvious modern position for him? Would it be the pace that would let him down in mm. case he was against a pacey winger, especially now in the modern day where they are sort of physically robust and sharp over short distances he he didn't have a burst of pace which is obviously the thing we're talking about from an attacking perspective maybe that would be the thing that would let him down where ever so slightly tweaking it to a wing back maybe have more pre- defensive protection if we're thinking about it tactically I, I don't know yeah I mean I, I tend to agree with both of you I think it probably would have been a right back and maybe the, the lack of pace would have been seen as the the key weakness I, I think you're right to mention his defensive diligence I think that was an underrated aspect of his game him and Gary Neville had a really good partnership where I think they were actually, I mean, obviously they're very close friends off the pitch, which seems odd because they're such different people. But as players, I actually think they were kind of more similar than people think in a yeah. sense. Neville's Beck- crossing is underrated. Neville was a brilliant crosser, a really good crosser. And Beckham was actually very good at shielding, uh, shielding him. And that was obviously a partnership that worked for Manchester United and, and England as well. I mean, he's six foot. I think he could have played on the right of a back three. In the wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Nice. For, for Chris Wilder's Sheffield United. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that would be class. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay, we found, we found the position for Beckham <laughs> finally. And I think, just to leave this behind and move on, I think we've struggled to find a better name for 
best crosser of the ball of all time. And as uh, our colleague James Moore once pointed out, he was literally born in Whips Cross Hospital. So, <laughs> so good. That is ridiculous. This is the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast with Ali Maxwell. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Is he the best all-round set-piece taker of all time? And I say all-round because direct free kicks and scoring from free kicks is only one aspect of set-piece taking. The number of assists he was able to rack up from corners and indirect free kicks as well. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to think that he took both corners for United's comeback in the 99 Champions League final, yet never gets mentioned. I mean, obviously, they weren't direct assists, but, you know, still... One of them gets headed away. Yeah. Not yeah, very poor. Poor, very <laughs> poor. But, um, yeah, I think his variety... I mean, he still leads the Premier League in terms of all-time goals from direct free kicks as well with 18, although James Ward-Prowse is now only one behind. And obviously, is probably arguably the most similar modern contemporary player to Beckham obviously not quite as good but a lot of the similar similar skill set and and interestingly a player who I think for a while struggled to find his best position I mean I thought Ward Prowse as a a right side of midfielder when he came through I think he had a few games at right back at some point and then eventually became a central midfielder when he I think added a, a bit of a battling quality but yeah I agree he probably is the the most similar player although also a mid-table player you know mm. if we're being honest I mean Similar level of set pieces, but uh, but yeah, I can't imagine him playing for a treble winning side with all due respect. I mean, 18 in the short, say short space of time that, that Beckham was playing for United. We're talking about the all-time record in the Premier League. Ward-Prowse, I think, is maybe at 12, 13 seasons and he's still he's still yet to, to beat it. It looks like he, he will in the next couple of years or so. So even the fact that it's 18 within the short space of time, I don't have the numbers per 90, but you get the point that he's able to have done it across less time than, than Ward-Prowse. And then he went and scored some fantastic free kicks at Real Madrid, at LA Galaxy as well. So if you have to add it up across his whole career as well. He had more variety as well, I think. Yeah. Ward-Prowse tends to aim for the same spot most mm. of us. Beckham, generally, they might have gone top sort of left, but he often went top right as well. And some occasionally even hit them with power. There was the one, I think his last goal for United away at Goodison Park when he sort of just, it's almost like a cross from a free kick, just straight into the into the top corner. He scored five direct free kicks in one season alone, 2000, 2001, seemingly just after he shaved his head. At least that's how the documentary presents it. Yeah, I mean... For younger listeners, it sounds ridiculous, but David Beckham shaving his head was insanely big news. I remember being in London the day, that Saturday, um, United were away at Leicester, and it was it was pre-smartphones, and I went past one of the shops that sold, rum, let's say Rumbelows, selling tellies, whatever, and there were people gathered round, and it was because there was a photograph being shown on Grandstand or whatever of David Beckham's new hair, and people were like going, like, there was a, a genuine hubbub in the street. So, and yet statistically, all four of his headed uh, Premier League goals came before he cut his hair. So. <laughs> nice. Well, he's got more headers as a as a young pup than he did as a. Interesting. That is interesting. I, I I find, and we've done a whole podcast. In fact, possibly even two over the years on scoring direct free kicks. The history of 
scoring direct free kicks in the Premier League. I just find it so fascinating, and specifically to Beckham and Ward-Prowse, the fact that of all the hundreds of players that have taken and scored free kicks in the Premier League era, what they do and the quality of it, understanding this is the highest level of football that exists, it still stands out. And I still can't think of too many others who, who strike the ball in that kind of way and have turned it into goals and assists to quite the same extent. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the best two have a kind of uh, finesse with the instep because there's clearly been a shift. Maybe actually has gone out of the game a little bit in the last couple of years, but there was a time where everyone was trying to do the Ronaldo technique, which I think was almost just a bit random. Like Ronaldo Even scored. Even Ronaldo forgot how to do it. Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo scored some, you know, the one against Portsmouth was incredible, but actually his conversion rate was pretty low, you know, for, for a, a kind of revered free kick taker. So I really like the fact that Ward Prowse, who's just about side spin and dip and flight, is, you know, probably going to overtake Beckham at some point. And it's not someone who just, you know, kicks it like they're kicking a two pound ball from the news agents and just goes all over the shop. For me, the most memorable m moment in Beckham's career is the free kick that he scored for England against Greece. But on a club level, Michael, and less in terms of a one individual moment, more of a body of work, it, it seems like that, that 99 season, the treble winning season, was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, and I think he probably was their best performer in that season. I mean, there was a few. I'd say that was almost the ultimate Manchester United season where it wasn't really reliant on individuals they could always just get the job done and of course famously David Ginler won the mm. Football Writers Player of the Year that season despite finishing about 12th at Tottenham Hotspur or something like that when there was was it five other Manchester United players on the six player shortlist and that was that was Manchester United that was a good example of what they're all about but yeah he was just a incredibly regular source of great crosses I remember uh, the Champions League game against Inter that year where he assisted two goals for Dwight York with almost identical crosses from the right. He was very, very difficult to stop. And I think maybe at this time in a pure footballing sense was more appreciated in Europe than in England. I mean, I, I don't think he ever won any Player of the Year awards in England, whether it was Football Writers or PFA or, or whatever. But to come he second... He was in the Team of the Year four seasons in a row. Yeah. He won but... the Young PFA Player of the Year as well. Okay, Young Player of the Year, yeah. Not but... the... I mean, between 97, 98 and 2000, 2001, so four seasons, he assisted 50 goals and scored 30. I mean, that's that's decent output. And just on the on the crossing, like that, I think the 99 season was, it felt like that was the peak of that team in, in terms of that tactic as well. Like it, it worked best that year. And then obviously the following season, United did a pretty poor defence of the Champions League. They won the, the Premier League by miles, but it wasn't really a challenge. And and it was this, it was kind of that that team started to fade a bit, and Ferguson started to think about how to re-energize it with you know, eventually bringing in Veron and, and Van Nistelrooy and stuff. But but that ninety eight ninety nine season, and obviously in the context of Beckham's World Cup in ninety eight, you know, I think the documentary tries to make out it was a a battle back against the odds, but really he was just great all season. <laughs> yeah. To make the most of his world-class, potentially best-of-all-time quality of crossing, a 4-4-2, or at least a, a system with two players up top in the middle waiting for crosses, is, is obviously going to be more beneficial. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, I think what he was very good at with the crossing was 
he could really dip it where he wanted. I think that would actually mean he was a better crosser than others with just one target in the middle. Because I think some people just flash it along yeah. and kind of hope that there's multiple targets. He could make kind of five foot eleven forwards look like six foot four <laughs> heading. Yeah, was York really good in the air? Because he yeah. scores a lot of headers in that dot. Yeah. So York, but he's not climbing above centre backs to score. I think that was the quality of well, Beckham. It wasn't a lofted ball yeah. that necessitated physical dominance. It was just movement, timing of the run, quality of the ball, and then just unopposed almost headed finishing but there was almost an element of almost like the ball hung up slightly and then as you say Mark it dipped it was a it was a vicious delivery and it basically it was almost like a lot for a lot of the goals the forward is running onto the ball rather than it having to meet it and it was and I, I honestly to Michael's point a minute ago I think no at the time people didn't appreciate it like you know some some players are appreciated in the moment and some only retrospect, and I think Beckham is definitely in that latter category. I think as well the cross, rather than it, as as well as it dipping, the trajectory to kind of still come away from the goalkeeper. Typically, if you get to the byline, the cross is going to come away from the goalkeeper just by the nature of it needing to go or to stay in play. But he was crossing it from so deep, yet still it would still obviously bend away from the goalkeeper. So. The goalkeeper was in no man's land as well to come and claim it. The fable of Beckham was that he spent hours every day after training with practice, 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 which I'm sure is true. But in the documentary, you do see early footage of him as a kid and he kind of does it then as mm. well. So it's like it was essentially innate skill that obviously practice does help. But yeah, it was unique to him. In researching the pod, just doing my usual sort of uh, almost becoming a tick, the sort of check of the FB ref page, uh, which does go back long enough to, to get some good stuff on Beckham's Premier League career. Just the stat of him having contributed 0.6 goals and assists per 90 over nine seasons as a Premier League player from that role. Uh, you know, how many of them would have been open play, split with set pieces? These things we will probably never know unless someone really goes back and watches every single one. But, you know, in an era, Michael, where numbers individual numbers were, were not as inflated as they are now that number alone is it's incredible contribution to goals yeah that's a good point and i suppose particularly the 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 main number that is now completely mainstream that wasn't really spoken about was assists i mean you couldn't find assist tables anywhere at that point or maybe you could well, well ironically i think 1999 yeah. would have been the first time they were in uh, available did okay. you create the first assist table? it was before even my time mm -hmm. but Knowing people that I've subsequently worked with, yeah, that was. But you're right. and No one would have taken any notice of it, I don't no. think. I mean, during that time, so from April 95 to May 2003, his time in the Premier League, he assisted more goals than any other player. 80 assists, 74 for Dennis Bergkamp, 68 for Ryan Giggs, 47 for Teddy Sheringham, 45 for, for Novi Solano. So I'd love to see his expected assists for that mm -hmm. time, whether it's in open play or from from set pieces as well. But even that stat alone just shows that he was just head and shoulders above from a creative perspective. I'm enjoying talking about a player and agreeing that he was sort of perfectly placed in the right era. Because sometimes I think we've talked about players and said they'd have been great in a different era or players from a previous era that might have been even better in the, in the current age. With Beckham, it feels like perfectly placed. In terms of his England career though, I looked on Transfermarkt, which has the, the data of all of the players that he played with for England. And there's a, there's a very clear chunk of about 12 players that he played the majority of his games with. In terms of the targets in the middle for Beckham's crosses, the striker that he played the most games with was Michael Owen, 68 games. And he assisted Owen five times in that period. But 
with Shearer having been just about before his time, Heskey obviously playing quite a lot in that period, but not being as prolific a, a goal scorer as York, Cole, Shearer. In that sense, it feels like he was just not quite in the right era to make the, the most of his talents. It's quite an interesting point. I hadn't considered that before, but yeah, I think it's a good point. Obviously, Owen did have the pace going in behind, which Beckham, you know, could could work with. I mean, he assisted the Argentina goal, didn't he, with a with the ball to Owen? Sort of pokes it forward, doesn't he? He does. It doesn't have the time. To and then a bit pressure. Isn't it? The best yeah. thing about that goal is Owen's running through. Like, whoa, he's through and got, and then two more Argentina defenders <laughs> are just in there. Like, all oh, right, the sweeper is it? Is it Ayala? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I suppose I suppose Shearer was probably a more natural target for him. But I don't think of them combining that much. I mean, the header against Germany at Euro 2000 from a free kick. But yeah, maybe you're right. It didn't quite align for him. I mean, Heskey, like you say, was just never prolific. He was there almost exclusively for Owen to work off of running in behind. I don't think of Heskey scoring many goals for England. I don't think of him scoring for many crosses. I mean, he, converting many crosses. Beckham assisted for Crouch a couple of times. Obviously, Crouch had yeah. that spell when he was, yeah, unplayable for about a year in international <laughs> football. Um, he assisted Crouch five times in, in 21 games, which wow. as a ratio is much higher than than anyone else. I should say he, he assisted Shearer twice, the Germany game that you mentioned in 2000, and also in a 1998 World Cup qualifier against uh, Poland. But it's an interesting point there. Like, if Crouch had been a, a longer-term option for England hmm. maybe Beckham's numbers would would have been a lot even better it's one thing building your dream England 11 from the <laughs> last 30 years but we could do it where we build the team that would have complemented each other yeah perfectly so you might not have Crouch in your dream England 11 but if you've got Beckham on the right side then you probably want Crouch in there hmm. and in terms of relationships as well so Heskey and Owen obviously playing domestically for Liverpool but Andy Cole didn't get much of a look in at international level, but obviously played a lot with, with David Beckham at, at club level. So maybe there could have been something there that could have been more fruitful. And maybe the interesting thing about his, I guess his most famous assist for Crouch, which was against Trinidad and Tobago in the 2006 World Cup, was that it was a very rare occasion where Beckham was playing a different position because Sven Goran Eriksson took off Jamie Carragher, who was playing right back, brought on Aaron Lennon to play as the right winger. And Beckham went back to right back, which obviously very rarely played there pushed forward, showed what he could do if he was a Trent Alexander-Arnold. And of course, it's a period that we, we look back on with some frustration and regret at Michael because of the so-called golden generation and, and golden balls part of that. Yeah, obviously, there's been a lot said about the golden generation. Obviously, we'll just look at it from a, a purely tactical perspective. I think the main issue when England did have all those players together was that it goes back to what you said, Ali, where Beckham was really in the right era with 4-4-2 uh, and getting crosses into two strikers. Owen was the same, obviously needed to play off a, a bigger striker like Heskey. But when you had Lampard and Gerrard coming through, they were thriving at club level in three-man midfields, whether it was 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. And I think that was, that was the main issue for England tactically. Gerrard and, and Lampard needed a more modern system and Beckham and Owen were a little bit old school. And I don't think that ever really got solved and I think really because Owen and Beckham were the big players Ericsson was always kind of inclined to to do what they wanted even though his best two players I mean look at the 2005 Ballon d'Or and Gerard and Lampard came second and third and England was still basing their team really around Owen and Beckham. Yeah and I think the the one World Cup where I think Beckham still was the dominant figure was 2002 but obviously he came into that recovering from the famous metatarsal injury and 
and just wasn't fit. And you know, obviously, the one of Brazil's goals, first goal, came from him sort of jumping out of a tackle, which was very unlike him. It does feel like hero ball is something that I associate Beckham with, and Rooney to an extent as well, more so than other players. Yeah, in that era, England, you know, England were second favourites to win like the 2006 World Cup, which still sounds a bit mad, but it, the the kind of hype around the England team was was massive. And I mean, Michael mentioned penalties there. That is one dead ball thing Beckham wasn't particularly good at. He had fairly, you know, he he never, he tended to go down the middle quite a lot. Obviously, the one against Argentina in 2002 was, was down the middle. He famously missed one against Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, Alpi tried to put his finger up Beckham's nose, I think, and then Aston Villa cancelled his contract. <laughs> it was a different time. That's a great sentence, that. Alpi tried to put his finger up Beckham's nose and Aston Villa cancelled his contract. <laughs> <A> simpler time. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to what I said about his only thing was kicking the ball well, well over long distances. Like, 12 yards wasn't long enough for him to be able <laughs> yeah. to do the things he could do with the ball. He drove it with power yeah. from the spot. Yeah. And he slipped on multiple times, didn't he? Yeah. Against France in the Euros. And that Turkey one the as Turkey well. Turkey one, yeah. Because yeah. he he put obviously placed his left foot so centrally. But yeah. Yeah, in terms of the it's hard to do without leaning away from the microphone, but he's almost tilted at an angle, isn't he? If you silhouetted every player taking a free kick, Beckham would be the most distinctive without any question. I went to the first proper match at the new Wembley. It was England under-21s against Italy under-21s. You went to that one too? Yep. Well, we, we weren't going to miss history, were we? No. Uh, and on that day, I left thinking, did Pat Zini score a hat-trick? Yeah. I left thinking that Pat Zini was likely to be in the next great number nine. But I also left thinking that David Bentley was essentially David Beckham 2.0 because in, in terms of technique, DB7. DB7, DB7 and JWP7, <laughs> the three great English ball strikers of the last 30 years. Yeah, well, Bentley came on for Beckham in Beckham's 100th cap and England oh. lost 1-0. And yeah, I mean, we know, I mean, Bentley's one of the few players to score a hat-trick against Manchester United in the Premier League, but his career did not go as well as uh, Beckham. And Michael, we can broadly split his club career into into two parts, the Manchester United part being part one, and then his spells at Real Madrid, LA Galaxy, Milan, and then briefly PSG at the very end of his career. To what extent did his on-pitch role and performance change in that, in that second part of his career? Yeah, I mean, the Real Madrid thing was wider than Beckham, really. It was a bit of a, a farce, I think, in terms of how they were assembling their team. He famously joined at the same time as they... They let Makaleli go and that, you know, that, I mean, for a start, I think it changed what Beckham was there to do. He had to play a lot deeper. He had to be a lot more responsible. And that, as we've said before, was never really his game. Um, so, yeah, it just, I mean, I, I don't think he really showed his best form at Real Madrid, to be honest. I don't think the system suited him. Um, there were flashes of magic. And I think that, to a certain extent, that's what Real Madrid's big signings were there to do. They were there to be... Galacticos to be globetrotters to do incredible things but maybe not well they didn't repeat it over the course of a season and he only won one league title there and that was in his last season when he'd kind of been bombed out of the team by Capello it's quite weird he announced he was leaving in the January to LA Galaxy and Capello just said right I'm not going to play you anymore and then after two months kind of changed his mind and he came back but even then I mean they won the league on the final day of the season 
when Beckham went off injured and the guy who came on, Jose Antonio Reyes, scored the two goals to win in the league. So he was always... I mean, it sounds weird to say about Beckham, but he's almost a bit of a background figure in terms of the the actual footballing side of things. Still a massive name, you know, a regular starter. But I don't really think of his time there with, with much affection or fondness. There was a kind of weird mirror with the McManaman move. He obviously was a different sort of player, but went to Madrid and was immediately converted into sort of a defensive midfielder. It didn't quite happen that way for Beckham, but it was, he went from being, you know, the, the biggest fish at United to, you know, slotting alongside Ronaldo and Zidane and Raul and others. And it was, yeah, he was still big, but it's quite instructive. If you look at sort of David Beckham highlights on YouTube videos, at United, they're all crosses like we're talking about, but most of his good passes at Madrid are really deep, lofted balls over the top looking for someone to run on. And they're great passes, but in the same way, you can't judge Zidane just from a few twirls in midfield. I don't think you can judge Beckham's time there from that. That being said, even from a numbers perspective, I don't have all of the, the in-depth numbers, but he did provide a goal and assist at least once in every three games. So it wasn't like he wasn't sort of posting half-decent numbers. I mean, if you're going to pass to Raul and, and Ronaldo and Zidane, you're obviously going to do quite well. But it wasn't that from, a, from an output perspective, aside from the performances per se, it wasn't that he wasn't getting those those assists um, more so than, than goals. But he was providing to some of the best players in the world, but doing so well. I mean, some people did think at the time when he meant that he was ruining his career by going to Real Madrid and, you know, why are you going to this team that isn't really a team, as Michael's saying? But I could, you could almost argue that the, the player's career who did ruin was Michael Owen, because Michael Owen then went to Madrid, um, missed out on Liverpool winning the Champions League in you know, 04 or 05, and, and never really got back to the, the level he'd been at. So, you know, Beckham kind of opened the door for, for Owen and Woodgate to go to Madrid, and, and neither player really it suited them at all. Interesting period of the documentary about his time at Galaxy and again kind of fraught with with, with issues both footballing but also non-footballing issues uh, particularly in the first year or two but they did win the MLS Cup Beckham did score twice and set up 13 goals in that season posting good numbers almost all of them from from dead ball situations what about that that foray with Milan Michael or and or PSG yeah Milan I, I don't particularly think he was needed at Milan they had a lot of good players at that time and he came in and he was still a decent player. I do think he deserves a bit of credit for his quite late flourish at PSG. So this was his last six months as a player. And the last time I saw him play was in uh, a two-all draw with Barcelona in the Champions League. Uh, this was Tito Villanova's Barcelona, obviously a very good side, the classic midfield, Messi. Um, and Beckham really, he, he played against them and he really held his own. He was still a really good player. Uh, still an excellent passer, played deep alongside Matuidi in the centre midfield. And I was really impressed with that. And he actually was replacing that game by Marco Verratti, which just feels like they belong to different generations. But uh, yeah, I've quite, that was the last time I saw him play and he was still a, a very good player. So he didn't necessarily go out at his peak, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think I ever saw Beckham play and thought he can't do this anymore. You know, he was still a very capable footballer because of his great technical ability the best crosser of a ball of all time we reckon and i think the best all-round set piece taker as well um really enjoyed revisiting david beckham's football career and kind of making sure that we're, we're placing it in the right context and uh applying every possible angle of thought onto it so thank you duncan thank you michael thank you mark 
we've taken as as in-depth a look as we could into the player David Beckham but what an unbelievable life he has led off the field as well and if you want to dive deeper into brand Beckham well there's a podcast for that as well over on the Athletic football podcast feed now make sure you are subscribed to the Athletic and head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics in order to become a subscriber and get a discount on an annual subscription. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed as well because we'll be back again next week on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.